everyone. Welcome back to All Things Sped today. Thank you for joining me, and I'm going to be talking all about dyslexia and dyscalculia today. I'm really excited to talk about these disabilities. I think you guys will find them really interesting, really intriguing, and definitely find out more about them. I know for myself personally, I've only ever heard of dyslexia before doing the research for today's podcast. I had assumptions about dyslexia. I thought it was just mixing up letters. You know, I know celebrities that have it, and I thought I knew what I needed to know about it. But being a future teacher, I wanted to do more research and find out how I can help my future students. And I think the research that I completed for this podcast is really useful and really beneficial for future teachers or even people who are teaching now to find out more about these disabilities and how they can help their students. So starting off today's podcast, I want to first talk about dyslexia. Um, Dyslexia is basically a learning disability in reading. Um, Overall, it means reading at a good pace without mistakes. Doesn't happen a lot for students who have dyslexia. They have a hard time with comprehension, spelling, and writing. And, you know, I think for me, I always thought, like I said in the intro, I thought that it was just mixing up letters and it was more about vision than it was about language. I thought you would see the letter S and C and get those two confused, which could potentially still happen. It's just I thought that that was the only part of dyslexia. I didn't realize there was so much more to it. Um, And I realized that through my research that it's actually a lifelong issue in people and it can run in families, which I think is really interesting. If a parent has dyslexia, their child is more likely to have dyslexia. Same with if your sibling has it, you're more likely to have it. And even if you don't have dyslexia necessarily, it's even more common just to have um, problems with reading in the classroom. It's also caused a lot by differences in brain structure. This doesn't mean that it's necessarily a sign of intelligence. People who have dyslexia are still very smart. It doesn't have anything to do with how intelligent they are. It's just problems that they have with reading and they need to learn strategies on how to improve their reading skills. A lot of common signs and issues that come with having dyslexia include phonemic awareness. Um, I know a lot of you might not know what that means, but it basically is just issues with rhyming words, isolating sounds and words. Um, It also involves issues with decoding. That's a very big problem that students who have dyslexia might avoid any reading at all costs, whether it involves reading independently by themselves, reading out loud. That's a huge sign that a student may have dyslexia, and it's something that teachers definitely need to be aware of. If a a student is scared to read, they should never be scared to read. Reading is is an ongoing process that you're going to be doing for the rest of your life. Nobody's perfect at it, and it's something that they should not be afraid of. Like I said earlier, um, a lot of times dyslexia will run in someone's family. Like how I said, if a parent has it, their children are more likely to have dyslexia. What I found through my research is that 40% of siblings of people with dyslexia also struggle with reading. That's a pretty high percentage. That's almost half. And then 49% of parents um, who have a child that has dyslexia also have dyslexia. That's basically 50%. That is a really high percentage, and I think it's a lot more common than even I initially thought that dyslexia was. And then another interesting thing that I found out about dyslexia is that brain structure changes after instruction. Um, While students are learning reading strategies and ways to better decode and comprehend, 
their brain structure will actually change. I did say that a lot of times it either runs in the family or it's a difference in brain structure in the people who have dyslexia. And the brain structure will actually change as they learn new strategies on how to read. Spelling can be really difficult because these students don't recognize the sounds and may not know how many letters that that sound has. And what I mean by that is, here's an example, the word elephant. We all know it's elephant. A student with dyslexia might hear the elephant and spell the word completely wrong. They might start it off with the letter L, A, F, and T. They might think that that's how how elephant is um, spelled because it sounds like that. You know what I mean? So a lot of times these students have a really big issue with spelling. Once you find these signs in your students with dyslexia or your children with dyslexia, how do we go about diagnosing it to be sure that it is actually dyslexia that they have? I found through my research that when diagnosing dyslexia, there must be a full evaluation for the child. That means multiple tests could be done in order to confirm or deny that somebody has dyslexia. And then once you find whether they do or not, um, psychologists, clinical psychologists, and neuropsychologists are often the ones who will confirm or deny this. And once they are able to tell, you know, the teachers, the parents, the whole team, they're able to find the right supports and services and accommodations that the child may need for them to succeed. Because dyslexia is not the same for every student. It can differ depending on the student, depending on the age. Maybe they struggle with spelling more than they struggle with decoding. Maybe they struggle a lot with comprehension. You know, it could be a a whole range of things for the student. And I also think something that's really important to make note of for you future teachers or or your teachers now, school evals are free. So doing a full eval for dyslexia at a school would completely be 100% free. However, there is an option to do private evals as well. But with the private evaluations, those can be a little bit more pricey, which, I mean, depending on the family, they might feel more comfortable doing it privately and not letting the school have access to all those records right away. Okay, now for the fun stuff. Um, Now that you know everything about dyslexia, how to find it, what are some common signs and symptoms in children or students who might have dyslexia, and even how to diagnose it and the evaluations that could possibly go along with it, I want to start talking about the classroom accommodations that could be made for the child. Um, I think this is all, this is exciting for me because I love to plan what students need to make their education better, easier, for lack of a better word. So let's get into it. Some really great classroom accommodations for children with dyslexia. I found that visual schedules are really beneficial, having pictures along with the words so the student can see what they need to do instead of trying to read it, as reading can be really intimidating, or even having large print as an option for the student. So if a class is reading a text, make a make a different copy for the student who has dyslexia and enlarge the print so it's a little bit easier for them to see the letters and to be able to read um, the text. 
Um, I also think providing extra time. Let's say there was a reading assessment. A child had to read a short passage, maybe answer some comprehension questions. Allow more time for the student to be able to do that so that way they have a better chance of being successful. You want to grade the student on the, the content. You don't want to grade them on how fast they can do it. As long as they can, that's awesome. If it takes them an hour instead of 30 minutes, that's okay. So I think providing extra time is really, really imperative. I also think you, working in partners is great. So let's say these two partners were doing a presentation about a topic. The student with dyslexia, for example, can tell the other person what to write on a worksheet that they have to fill out for it. They can give out ideas, and then if they have to present to the class, the person with dyslexia can speak out loud their own ideas rather than trying to read off of a paper. And then they get to work in teams, which is always good. Collaboration is a great skill to have, even early on. And I also think using a bookmark for reading is awesome. This way they can, and this is a cheap option. You know, I feel like you can get bookmarks at the dollar store. So this is definitely a great option for your students. You use a bookmark so they can keep track of the words as they're reading and be more on task. When it comes to introducing new concepts in a class, I think, you know, typing out notes or an outline for the student to follow, maybe giving them some visual and audio support. So let's say as you're going over a topic in class, you record your presentation and then you give a copy of that to the student so they can look at that maybe at home or in free time in the classroom and be able to listen to it again so they can better understand rather than relying on the text. And then even when it comes to giving instruction, you know, give step-by-step more detailed instructions, read them out loud to the student, um, simplify, use keywords instead of long drawn out sentences, get straight to the point so the student has less to read and is able to better understand. I also think checking in with the student often is great to make sure they're on the right task if they need help, maybe they're a little shy and don't want to ask you for help. I think checking in on your own and taking that extra step is great to do for the student. And then when it comes to completing tests and assignments, you know, this can always be intimidating or it's just something a lot of kids don't want to do. I mean, who loves to take a test? Nobody. So I think the whole point of this is you want to make it easier for your student. So I think it's better to grade the material rather than spelling or grammar. As long as the child is understanding the material, I think that that's what should be graded. You know, that's a great way to just assure the child that you're not going to be really strict with them and that you're going to actually care about what they're doing rather than how they are spelling. I think it's also great to work on those skills, but if they spell one word wrong out of 50 words, it's not the end-all be-all. I also think it's good to give them different options for assignments, maybe an oral report, a video presentation, instead of a paper where they might struggle. Give them different options and be flexible with your students. Let them be creative. You know, students are a lot more creative than we give them credit for. Let them be creative. And if they have dyslexia, oftentimes they might know what works best for them. So let them choose something that will benefit them and help them get a better grade. And overall, just keep everybody happy. Again, the extra time. Give them extra time on tests. Maybe a quiet room if that works better for them. Maybe an oral option. You read out the questions for them so they are able to properly understand what it's saying. And I think overall for dyslexia, I really just, 
I think the main goal is to use, you know, really detailed instruction, more one-on-one tier two, tier three instruction if necessary to make sure that the student is getting that time that they need with reading and literature and language. They need that time to practice these skills. One little note I wanted to make is Emily Hanford. Um, She has podcasts on APM reports. She has a whole series about dyslexia, and I think she's another great resource. If you are looking into that, maybe you have a couple students who have dyslexia and you want to know more, I would definitely check out her podcast. Okay, guys, now I want to get into dyscalculia. I first want to start off about talking about what it is. So dyscalculia is basically a specific learning disability that affects ability to understand, learn, and perform math and number-based operations. You know, there's a lot of limited research about this. However, researchers have determined that about 5 to 7% of elementary age children may have dyscalculia, and they also think that it is equal in both genders, which I think is really interesting because I feel like when learning about disabilities or, you know, disorders, a lot of times they tend to lean to a certain gender. So I think it's interesting that it's equal in both. And then a lot of issues that can result from dyscalculia um, can also be from other disabilities and disorders as well. So a student may have dyslexia, ADHD, visual and auditory processing disorders. And, you know, these disorders can either be in addition to dyscalculia, like I said, or these mathematical issues could be caused by these other disabilities as well. So it makes it a little tricky to actually diagnose somebody with dyscalculia. A lot of causes for dyscalculia are unknown. You know, research points to brain development issues and genetics. However, I think it's pointed more to brain development issues rather than genetics. And, you know, that's very similar to dyslexia. Again, they both are either due to brain structure or to genetics. A lot of common signs for dyscalculia, um, you know, I think a really big one is a difficulty in recognizing numbers. And I also think symbol to word connection is pretty, pretty bad. There's definitely a big disconnect there. And by symbol to word connection, I mean the symbol would be the number five. And then the word would be the number five written out, F-I-V-E. A student may have trouble recognizing that the number five and the symbol five um, are actually the same thing. You know, I mean, you have to be able to understand that in order to move on to other topics. A lot of times these students will lose track when they're counting. Um, This involves a lot of, like, persistent finger counting with the student. Even if they practice two plus two a million times and they should be able to recognize it upon seeing it, they will still use finger counting. So they need that reassurance that they are doing the correct problem and that they are solving it correctly. A lot of times these students will have um, difficulties with assignments and tests. They may get a lot of anxiety about taking tests, especially when it comes to math and for dyscalculia. If they have the stress about tests and they maybe perform really poorly on tests, you know, this could be a big sign that a student has dyscalculia. Again, difficulty with grade level math. If they're having 
really, really bad difficulty with grade level math. However, they were doing well in every other subject. Then that goes to show that there might be something wrong. When it comes to diagnosing dyscalculia, there is no specific test or evaluation that is given for it. However, there are steps included in it to make the process a little bit easier and hopefully identify if the student does have dyscalculia or not. The first step involves visiting a doctor, and this is to rule out visual or auditory issues that the student might have before saying that it is a learning disability in math. Again, consulting with teacher is step number two. So how does the teacher think the student is doing? What are their observations on the student? And then step three is ask about other areas. Ask the teacher, how is the student doing in reading and writing, science? You know, is it just an issue with math or is it an issue all around? And then consulting with a specialist. So this could include maybe a psychologist or something who might know more about this learning disability than the, a common teacher might know. When it comes to treatment and accommodations for dyscalculia, you know, they're very similar to dyslexia. I talked about dyslexia so much because there's so much research about it. And dyscalculia, there's not a lot of research, like I said. However, it's very similar the way that you want to give services and accommodations to your students. Again, more time on work and test. If it takes them 45 minutes instead of 30, that is totally fine. As long as the student is able to complete the material and show their understanding, I think that that's, I think as teachers, we can all agree that that's what really matters for the student. I also think allowing the usage of a tool such as a calculator, a ruler, allowing those tools on test just to give the student a better chance of being successful with the material. I also think tutoring either one-on-one -on -one or in small groups. So maybe the teacher does this, maybe there's, you know, another peer who's willing to tutor the student depending on the age of the students and I also just really think focusing on that tier two and tier three instruction and going into small groups is very important. This is a way to really identify how the student is doing and try to find the problem and help the student overcome that challenge and hopefully help them move on to other topics and operations. Overall, I think it's the teacher's job to really do research about this. Math is not an easy subject, and I think if the teacher is able to do research and find out what could help their student best, that's really all that matters here. You know, there's definitely so many teaching strategies, as we all know, whether you are teaching now or even if you're a future teacher, we're learning about all these different strategies there are to teach students. And I think it's important to do trial and error, see what works for your students, and really try to get a grasp on what can help them especially with something as uncommon as dyscalculia. Guys, thank you so much for joining me today on this podcast. It was really interesting to do the research for this on dyslexia and dyscalculia. You know, I think that this is really important for teachers and future teachers to be aware of. You know, these learning disabilities are different in all students. Um, there can be a range of symptoms, a range of signs, a range of reasons that the, that the children are having problems in these specific areas of either reading or mathematics. Um, and it's the teacher's job to do what's best for their student, to do that research, and to find out what they can do to make their students' academic success even greater than it already is. Um, I really hope you guys enjoyed, and I hope to see you on the next one. Bye!